Father, thank you that we have you. You've heard our prayer. We need you, God. Would you show up? Father, in a way that we have never experienced you today, we pray, would you show up? Would you pour yourself out into our lives? Would you change our eternal trajectory? Would you change our marriages and our homes, our parenting, our work? Would you change the way we live in this community for the glory of your name? God, would you, would you do it? Would you show up? We need you. And Father, no one is more aware of that than me. And so God, I pray, would you guide me? Would you lead me? Would you direct me? Would you make your words pour from my mouth? And Father, we know we're not the only church that's gathered in this community that needs you. I pray for Paul Young, glory of God, Anglican Church, all of the gospel teaching and preaching churches of this community. God, we need you. And Father, we thank you for your grace and Jesus to us. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 15? Revelation chapter 15. Um, we have a few more weeks in this study and, um, and, and because we have several more weeks in this study, I'm gonna ask you to, as you think of it, whatever brings it to your mind, would you pray for me over the next several weeks? There are a lot of things that, uh, that I'm working on in, in wrapping up this study of the book of Revelation. And so if you think of it, pray that God would make me faithful to his word, that he would make me capable to teach these huge, massive truths, and that he would also do a work in your heart as well, that he would stir you to worship him. The book of Revelation is a book of worship. It's a call to praise God for who he is. And that's the great setup for the text that we're in. You see, there are these massive truths that are converging in the book of Revelation. One is that we were made to worship God. We were created to worship God. I can't make my, my morning's message a proof that we are called and created to worship God. I would encourage you to go to the Psalms. Go to Psalm 99. Go to Psalm 100. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. For the Lord is God. He's created us, not ourselves. We are called to worship God. And at the same time, not only does the, does the Bible tell us you were created to worship God at all times and in all things? The Bible also tells us that as we get nearer and nearer to the return of Jesus Christ, the world in which we live, the world in which we're called to worship God is only going to get worse and worse and worse. We, we saw this a little bit. We were in, in uh, the book of 2 Timothy last week and you see there that Paul's warning his young protege, Timothy, listen, the nearer Jesus comes, here's what he says, the nearer it comes to the return of Christ, he says evil men will grow from bad to worse. That's not the direction you want him going, right? You're gonna go from bad to worse. He says even to the point that so-called religious people, so-called Christians will not endure sound teaching. They won't wanna hear how bad the world is or how bad they are in the world and so they'll gather to themselves teachers who will just sort of itch the scratch of whatever their whim is of the moment. They'll say things like, tell me I'm okay, tell me everything's gonna be okay. Why don't you scratch the itch I have for entertainment or for an easy life? Why don't you just go ahead and tell me a funny joke, preacher guy? Why don't you humor me with a little anecdote every now and then? They're gonna say that. So evil men will 
grow from bad to worse. Religious men will refuse to endure sound teaching, so the world will grow dark and dark and dark and dark. Does that sound familiar to you? Are you blown away at the decay of our culture, of our world. When you look around, listen, I I see the same news that you see. I read the same reports that you read. It boggles my mind the way that it boggles you. And yet, as the world grows darker and darker, that one relentless call of God to worship him in all things at all times never goes away. We're called to worship God in the midst of a world that is falling apart. And in these two chapters, Revelation 15 and 16, that we'll look at this morning, we see the convergence of those two things. We see the convergence of a world that is falling apart. We're gonna be reading about the very end of the wrath of God coming upon earth. And we see reasons for worship this morning. We see how it is we worship God while our world falls apart, all right? So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 15 and 16. We'll read these in their entirety. Verse 15, one says, or chapter 15, verse one says, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Now we've talked a lot about the, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls now that have been poured out. The wrath of God is coming. That's something that is a theme we've addressed several times in our study of the book of Revelation. Here we find the end. This is the end of the wrath of God poured out. This is right before Jesus is going to return and establish his kingdom on the earth. Verse two, as the wrath of God is being prepared to pour out, verse two says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside that sea of glass with harps of God in their hands and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and amazing are your deeds O Lord God the almighty just and true are your ways O king of the nations who will not fear O Lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed after this I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever and the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out of his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out of his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the almighty, just and true are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast 
and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Verse 12, the, sec, the, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. You guys all joke about me having that unhealthy fear of tree frogs. Come on guys, we see it here. This is biblical. Verse 14, they looked, they leapt out like frogs, but they leaped out from the beast. Verse 14 says, because they're demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now listen to Jesus here says, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne of God saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath and every island fled away. No mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe. This is the word of God for us today. So here we have this picture, this graphic picture of God's wrath being poured out in finality upon the earth. The world as we know it literally at this point is falling apart and it is ending before Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And I know people just want to debate over and over again, is this for us or not for us? Is this for us or not for us? Yes and no of sorts. Uh, you would say, are we going to be here when this occurs or are we going to be raptured out. Even those of us who've grown up and have learned about the rapture being seven years before the return of Christ and the church being taken away, here's what we need to understand, that there will be people saved who are followers of Jesus Christ on this earth, and and they will be needing to hear what we just read. And at the same time, tribulation and pain and persecution already exist on this earth. And we need to hear what we just read. I was speaking with one of our uh, missionaries a few weeks ago in our mission conference. And he he shared something that was really interesting to me. Uh, He had been born and raised in America, graduated from an American Bible seminary, went to China, began to lead house churches in the country of China. And they were being so persecuted because of their faith that he, he decided to lead them on a Bible study of the book of Revelation. And he, he shared something with me as he was telling me about that experience. And, and here's what he said. Serving in other countries has helped me to understand that American Christians wonder when the tribulation will begin and Christians all around the world are wondering when is it gonna end, right, right? Because tribulation and persecution are already a part of our world. As a matter of fact, they're probably coming to our nation in our lifetime. Like we can see the handwriting on the world or on the wall and in our world that God is, is allowing his people to walk through persecution even as he, as their great shepherd, walks them through it. And so there is a word for us today. There's a word for us today. And the word is, how do we worship God in the midst of this? 
How do we worship God when it seems as though our world literally is falling apart all around us? And here's the big idea that I want to show you. Here's, here's what I want us to see in these scenes of worship in chapter 15 and chapter 16. We will worship God while our world falls apart when we remember and respond to the truth of who God is. Let me say that again. We will worship God while our world falls apart when we remember and respond to the truth of who God is. Let me show you how we see that in these two chapters. Let me pull out these two scenes of worship in chapters 15 and 16, and let's see what's in here for our learning. Look at chapter 15, verse three. And they, these people who are gathered around this this beautiful sea in heaven, and they... Sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, and here's what, listen to what they say. While the world is getting ready to experience the worst wrath that will ever come upon this earth, here's what they say. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now skip over to chapter 16, verse 5. Look at this statement of worship. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I hope you see it there. In these two songs of worship, what you have are two songs, two statements that are absolutely chock full loaded with truth about who God is. The thing that stirs heaven to worship is the truth of who God is, that forever we are reminded and respond to who God is as we see him face to face. And while the earth falls apart under the wrath of God, heaven rejoices in worship over who God is. You wanna know how you will worship God while your world falls apart when you remember and respond to the truth of who God is. So let me show you what this text tells us about who God is. Chapter 15, verse three chapter 16 verse 7 both show he is God the almighty he's God almighty listen to me God has power over all things how many things all things he never wrings his hands in worry he never wishes there was something he could do about it no matter what it is he always has a solution he always has enough resource he's always confident in his ability God is almighty and when you feel so overwhelmed by governments and economies and illness I need you to remember something remember God is never overwhelmed God is never under equipped God is never underfunded. God is the almighty. Chapter 15 verse 3 says he's not only almighty, he's the king of the nations. Did you hear that? The king of the nations. The word king denotes authority. So almighty is his power. All might is God's and he is king over all the nations, all authority. Here's what that means. Not only does God have the power to do whatever he desires, he has the right and the authority to do whatever he desires. This world needs to hear something and so does our hearts. God doesn't rule by popular vote. He's not making decisions over a Fox News poll, folks. 
The world isn't governed by a democracy. The world is ruled by a sovereign king named Almighty God. And that means you. You're under the rule of a sovereign king. And so is the world in which you live. So is sickness. So is pain. So is our president and our Congress and our Supreme Court and NATO and the United Nations. God Almighty is the king over all the nations. Look at chapter 15, verse 4. Not only is he the almighty king, verse 4 says God is holy. Actually, it says you alone are are holy. There is no one else like God. Holy means to be totally separate from all things that are sin. God is perfectly and completely good and flawless and beautiful and glorious without any defect or any fault at all. He is holy. Throughout the scenes of heaven, we see over and over and over again the description of God, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is perfect and complete and sinless and faultless. And so not only is he almighty king who can do whatever he desires, not only is he holy in that he has no flaw, those things together mean something about what God does and what God is doing. It means this. In chapters 15, 3 and 4, in chapter 16, 5 and 7, it says God is righteous and just and true. Because God is holy and he has no fault, no flaw whatsoever, because he does what, what he pleases and what he pleases is good and holy and true, that means every act of God is righteous and just and true. God never makes a mistake. Do you guys believe that? God is holy and perfect and true and he never makes a mistake, Right? Right, well, there you go. Hold on just a second. Don't get ahead of me. So Jim Johnson asked me that before the service and I'm doing the whole, yeah, Jim, of course, man. Of course I am. Then he asked this one. This is a little deal breaker. Well, then do you like everything God does? Right? Don't, man, don't fill in all my blanks for me. I've got, I've got to preach this. Listen, here's the story. Here's the story is God is strong and mighty and sovereign and true and righteous and holy and all that he does is good and right and our hearts naturally rebel against that. Do you hear that? Our hearts naturally rebel against that. And so we see something else here about God because our hearts do not respond to God as God the way they should. We see something else here and namely what we see and it's not as easy as these others but it's here. We see that God is gracious and merciful. We don't embrace God the way that we should. We have not encountered God as God and said, "I, I love what I see, I want what I see. Tell me what to do, God. All I want is you to tell me what, that's how, that's not how we enter this world. We enter this world, the Bible says, as people who desire to be our own little G-gods. The great sin of all humanity is we don't want God on our throne. We want to be our own little G-god. We want to do what we want. We think we know what's best. We take the reins of our life and we do as we please or we want to do as we please. And that is the state of all humanity. And in this text, we see God is merciful and gracious And let me show you this, and and I'll show you this in a roundabout way. Look at verse six of chapter 16. This is talking about all of those who endure the wrath of God. It says, they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. It's what they deserve. 
They deserve the wrath of God because they've rebelled against God as God. That's for all of us, guys. All of our hearts have rebelled against God as God and what we deserve is the wrath of God. These people who endure the wrath of God get what they deserve because they wanted to be their own God and this is where it has gotten them. But the question remains, does everyone get the wrath of God? Does everyone get what they deserve? No. No, because in chapter 15, we see a sea of people who say God is great and glorious and they're not enduring God's wrath. They're enjoying God's pleasure and his presence forevermore. We see grace and mercy here because everyone deserves the wrath of God, but not everyone gets it. Because God is gracious and kind and gives men an opportunity to repent. And there are those who see, I've wanted to be my own God. I have fallen short of the glory of God because I've wanted to make my name glorious. I wanted to do my own thing. And the result of my fall is the wrath of God upon me. God is a good judge and he will not allow sin or injustice to go unpunished. And we all deserve the wrath of God, but God is rich in mercy. And he has loved us with a love and a grace that we can't even imagine. Go to Revelation chapter one. Go to Revelation chapter one. I want us to look at this together. In Revelation chapter one, we see something here. All people deserve to experience God's wrath, not only poured out on this earth, but for eternity That's that word that makes all people in our culture, especially squirm, in a place called hell that the Bible describes as the the place where God pours out eternal condemnation, wrath on those who refuse to repent. But for those who will turn from their sin and say, I know I'm not my own God. I want the real, true, living God whose name is Jesus to rule my life. That's called confessing Jesus as Lord and I will embrace Christ. Look what it says in Revelation chapter one, verse five. And from Jesus, this is a vision that's coming from God the Father and the Spirit and and his son Jesus. And from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us. Now listen to this phrase. In his love, look what Christ has done. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. Do you hear that? For those who will turn to Jesus Christ in faith, repent of their sin of desiring to be their own God and lay down their lives before God as God, there is forgiveness for your sin. And do you know how many of your sins Jesus is willing to forgive? This is when you can fill in the blank. All of them, right? All of them. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He's just, he's right. God is right to forgive our sin. And do you know why? Not because he lets us skate free, but because he's righteous and just. And for those who trust in Jesus, Christ died on the cross and God laid on him the sin of us all and God punished our sin in Jesus. Some of you are waiting for the other shoe to drop. You ever felt that way? You're waiting for the other shoe to drop because you know you've done wrong. You can't forget your biggest mistake. You can't forget that thing that won't ever leave your mind. I did this wrong. I keep doing this wrong. I've done this wrong. You're waiting for that other shoe to drop. And here's what we need to know. 
Jesus Christ has already paid for that sin. Jesus was punished for that sin. If you're trusting in Jesus, the word the Bible uses is forgiven. It's gone. Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin. And that is That is the expression of God's mercy and grace and we see that in Revelation 15 and 16 because some men get what they deserve because that passage says they refuse to repent but not all men get what they deserve because they trust in Jesus Christ to save them. We just saw Jamie share her testimony that her entire life she's heard the story of Christianity but last week it was like God gave her eyes to see it and ears to hear it for the very first time and she finally understood what it meant for Jesus to save her from her sin. What a glorious thing and I pray that no one leaves this place without knowing God is gracious and merciful and you don't have to get what you deserve because Christ has died in our place. We have an almighty king who rules with a sovereign power over the earth and in our lives. He is holy and just and righteous and true and he has made in his kindness a way for us to experience mercy and love and not wrath. And do you know what that is, church? That's reason to praise God. That's reason to worship The truth of who God is should be a lens through which we interpret what's going on in our world. And most of us flip that around don't we? We use what's going on in our world as a lens to determine who we believe God is. You will not worship looking through that lens until you see who God is and interpret everything in your life around it. So church, do you have cancer? Is your world falling apart with cancer? then we just read something you need to hear. God is stronger than cancer and he is able to do whatever he wants and he isn't wringing his hands. And if you're his child, he wants your good and he's merciful and gracious. And even cancer has to serve his purpose no matter what. And at the very worst, cancer becomes a servant that ushers God's children into his presence where there's eternal joy and pleasure forevermore. So people worship God in your cancer. Have you lost your job? Are you in unemployment? And you need to hear what we just said. God is stronger than our economy or your employer and he's able to do whatever he wants and he isn't trying to balance his checkbook to see if he can afford to help you out. And if you're his child, he wants your good and he is growing you through this. He's bringing you one step closer to completion and he's merciful and he's gracious and even unemployment has to serve his purpose no matter what. And at the very worst, unemployment becomes a servant that allows you to see the power and glory and provision of a loving father who is your king so worship God in your unemployment you have a prodigal child who hasn't come home yet you need to hear what we just said God is stronger than your child's rebellion and circumstances and he's able to do what he wants he isn't held captive to a hard heart just ask the apostle Paul who was murdering Christians when he met Jesus God is faithful and kind and true and if you are his child he wants your good and if your child is his child he wants their good too and in his mercy and grace even prodigals serve his purpose no matter what prodigal sons become servants that allow us to see how deeply dependent we we are on our father who is our king for the supernatural work that only he can do in our lives so parents worship God 
while you wait for your prodigal. Has your government gone off its rails? You better believe it has. And you need to hear what we just said. God is stronger than our government. And he's able to do whatever he wants. And he isn't bound by the vote of Congress or our school board. And if you're his child, he wants your good. And if your children are his children, he wants their good. And he's merciful and he's gracious. And at the very worst, a corrupt government becomes the servant that allows us to see the sovereign power and provision of a loving father who's king of all nations. Just remember what happened when the most powerful nation on the world killed Jesus. God made it serve his plan to bring salvation to everyone who trusts in him. So worship God even if you have a corrupt government. Allow the truth of God to become a lens through which you interpret what's going on around you. Don't allow what's going on around you to be the lens through which you interpret who God is. This past Monday, my, uh, my oldest niece and nephew, their twins turned 21 and they are great kids. I guess they're adults now. And I was thinking about them growing up so fast and I, I thought about them as kids. And when they were like three or four or five, somewhere in that range, they had this phrase they would say over and over and over again. And it kind of became a running joke in our family. And the phrase was this, Dr. Johnson won't hurt you. Dr. Johnson won't hurt you. And I'd be like, cool, I'm not afraid of Dr. Johnson. Thanks for the info though. Dr. Johnson won't hurt you. Here's the deal. Dr. Johnson was their pediatrician and he haunted their dreams. They, were, they lived terrified of Dr. Johnson. And here's the deal. Dr. Johnson is a great guy. Uh, he's a Christian man. He's become a friend of our family through having so many of my parents' grandchildren in his practice. He's this super guy. And the way that my brother and sister-in-law dealt with my niece and nephew's fear and paranoia about their doctor's visits was telling them all kinds of good things about Dr. Johnson. Dr. Johnson's a smart man, kids. Dr. Johnson's a good doctor. Dr. Johnson's a Christian and he loves Jesus and Dr. Johnson loves you and Dr. Johnson will only do things that help help you even when there's a needle involved even when he shoves a stick in your mouth and puts a weird thing up your nose Dr. Johnson won't hurt you and so my niece and nephew walked around all the time saying Dr. Johnson won't hurt you they began to understand something about the doctor about who he was that informed how they experienced their visits to his office what they were learning was he's a kind man and a good man He's a smart man and a capable man. And they kept reminding themselves over and they reminded everyone around them over and over and over. Even people who are far too old for a pediatrician. My mamaw got to learn over and over again that the local pediatrician in Middletown, Dr. Johnson, he won't hurt you, mamaw. And there's a similar thing in this passage. I was thinking about it. If you're trusting in Jesus to save you, if you're embracing Christ, if you're willing to turn from your sin and repentance, turn to Jesus in faith, then you need to know something. You are protected by the omnipotent power of God. You are cared for by an almighty king who rules this nation, who rules this world, who rules everything that's going on in your life. And all that he does is right and good and true and God won't harm you. God won't harm you. He's glorious and great and amazing and holy. And the world may fall apart and life may hurt, but God won't harm you. He's worthy of praise. That's who he is. That's what he does all the time, even when your world is falling apart. 
the week before last, a uh, few of us went up to Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville to visit Randy and Myrna Scott. Many of you know Randy is a longtime member of our church. He has acute leukemia, and he and Myrna had to go to Mayo Clinic for his treatment options, and he had received some really hard news. And So a few of us felt led to travel up to Jacksonville the week before last and spend some time and, and pray with him and Myrna. And they had all kinds of stories about God and his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness. And before we left, we asked, Randy, how can we pray for you, Randy? I mean, what's, other than the obvious things, how can we pray for you? And here's what Randy said. He said, pray that Myrna and I will keep our eyes straight forward on Jesus. Everything to the left, everything to the right is really scary stuff. But we aren't scared when we look at Jesus. That's another way of saying, Jesus does something awesome in my heart when I remember who he is and I interpret what's going on around me through that lens. You know what that is? That's worship. And we will worship God while our, our world is falling apart when we remember and respond to, to, to who he is. So don't forget it. Don't look past it. As you read your Bibles, ask this question, what does this tell me about God? And what does that mean for me today? What does this tell me about God what does this mean for me today? Because no matter what is going on in your marriage, in your home, in your job, in this county, in this country, in this world, not one thing has changed about God. So let's leave this room as the happiest people on Merritt Island. Because God is God. He is God and he is our sovereign king who is holy and righteous and good and true and all he does is right and he's merciful and gracious and kind and he is working everything, everything, everything on this earth for his glory and our good and we have reason to rejoice and worship him today. So let's pray that we would. Let's pray that we would. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and spend a few moments in prayer. And here's how I want us to pray. I want us to pray for one another. We come to this room as as the church. We don't come to the church. We come to this room as the church and the church is called to love one another. So would you pray right now for those that are seated around you? You may not even know their names. If you don't know the name of the person seated around you, I encourage you after this service, introduce yourself. Get to know their names. Would you pray for the people who are seated around you? Pray that they would know God for who he is. Pray that in whatever they're going through today, they would rejoice in God for who he is. Would you pray for the people that will be encountered by those who are seated around you? There are waiters and waitresses, family members, friends and neighbors that are gonna be encountered by the people around us. Would you pray that those people around you would leave this place filled with joy and hope because they believe God is God. And that would open a door to declare to those they encounter today the reason they have hope, the reason they have joy, even if their world's falling apart. Pray for those around you to express the joy of Jesus as they live a life of worship.
Would you pray for yourself? In this moment, would you pray for yourself? Ask that God would give you joy in believing so that your heart would be filled with praise and worship to God. Reflect over some of the things that are going on in your life right now. Some of the hardness that you're facing, some of the challenges that are there. Pray that God would allow you to believe that those things have not changed anything about God. Father, we love you. We need you. We say it again, we need you because you are you are a glorious God, an almighty king who is holy and right and just and true and all you do is good and you are merciful and gracious to us and so Father we say we need you and we thank you that we have you in Jesus Father I pray you'd stir our hearts to sing your praise Father I ask that we would leave as people filled with the joy of Christ today I ask these things in Jesus name Amen